Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's week three and a half in football, week four of college, week three in the pros. Let's put together a nice little parlay for the week. I'll take Ohio State at Notre Dame. Give me Ohio State money line. Give me the Ravens at minus nine and a half at home against the Colts. And then on Monday, give me the Cincinnati Bengals money line. First win of the season at home against the 2-0 Rams. You can put that parlay together and use our promo code BLEAV. That's B-L-E-A-V at Bet Online Sportsbook to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. You gotta use the link in the description to this episode. Bet Online, where the game starts. So in the offseason, we talked about the possibilities of NFL first to worst teams. And one of the teams we discussed was the Bengals. And that discussion led us into a breakdown of each contender's backup quarterback. And here in week three, we're already talking about Jake Browning as Joe Burrow battles with a calf injury. Kyle, knowing what we know so far, not knowing whether Joe Burrow is even going to play in week three, how do you think the Bengals should manage his injury moving forward? So this is an interesting situation because the Bengals would normally be one of those teams that I think is... Good enough that the regular season is all about preparing for the postseason, that they will be good enough to make the playoffs regardless of having players miss a couple of games. But I don't know if that's the case this year for the Bengals. I mean, now they're already 0-2 to start the season. Now Cincinnati finds themselves in a tough situation where they are trying to fight off a really good division in a really good conference, losing two games that under normal circumstances, we would think that Cincinnati would win, right? Like saying Cincinnati would be two and O at the bare minimum one and one given the teams that they've played to start the season so far. But now that they find themselves at O and two against Cleveland and a home game against Baltimore, I mean, I'm looking up now and thinking they might not be able to withstand an injury to that one player specifically. Maybe if they lost like an Orlando Brown, they'd be able to withstand. Even if they lost a T. Higgins or Jamar Chase, they might be able to pull through. If it's not Burrow, as much as I want to believe in Folsom High School, Sacramento's own Jake Browning, he grew up like 10 minutes that way from where I'm recording right now even as much as I want to believe in Jake Browning like I don't know if they'll be able to withstand that injury with an 0-2 start a game against the Rams on Monday night that puts them in a really difficult situation if they lose on Monday potentially without Joe Burrow and even if Burrow comes back and they have to go 10 and 4 the rest of the season to make the playoffs that's a tall task even for a team that's been to two consecutive AFC championship games so the injury to Joe Burrow happened within the last three plays of the game knowing what we know now hindsight being 2020 we look at Jamar Chase's comments in the offseason about Joe Burrow maybe should have sat out the first couple weeks of the season uh, now that we can evaluate Jamar Chase's comments with the hindsight, knowing that they went 0-2 anyway with a healthy Joe Burrow, do you think they made a mistake in not putting him on the bench, at least to start the season? I feel like healthy Joe Burrow should be taken with like a bunch of air quotes right there, because clearly he wasn't healthy. Like he played awful in the first game of the season, came into the second game, played not as not as terrible, but also not great. And then re-aggravated his calf injury, which the calf is kind of connecting the Achilles tendon up through to the back of your leg. So like 
clearly Joe Burrow wasn't healthy, but Joe Burrow was also making it pretty clear he was going to play. It reminds me so much of, of back four years ago, and to use the basketball analogy, when Kevin Durant injured his Achilles, and he, during that playoff run for the Warriors, he sat out, he sat out, and then the Warriors were down 3-1 in the finals to Toronto, and he tried to push it back. Doctors probably shouldn't have cleared him, but they cleared him anyways. And then he tore his Achilles 12 minutes into the game. It's like, yes, you probably need more rest. You probably need more recovery. And the thing with the calf Achilles injury is that you just don't know the timelines for those injuries. It's a combination of soft tissue and connecting the tendons. You've got like three things you got to work with. Even though Mm. I'm I'm not a doctor, I think the evidence is pretty clear. Jamar Chase was probably right. Joe Burrow should have sat the first (laughs) couple games of the season and bygones be bygones if they lose those games anyways because now you're 0 and 2 and your quarterback is now even more hurt than he was before now let's listen to a sports doctor talk about it and he said with this type of injury one of the big things they can do is at least put like one of those sleeves over the calf and that can help manage it the big key here is apparently keeping it warm however the big risk that the Bengals find themselves in is Okay, let's say they do run him out there on Monday night. If he does have any tweaks or re-aggravations with that thing, then we may be talking about the IR anyway. And if he gets put on the IR, you're going to miss four games. And when you look at the Bengals' like next stretch of games, I mean, at a certain point, the math just stops favoring you because you're already 0-2, so you're behind the eight ball now. How good is this Bengals team to really survive with Jake Browning for a couple weeks? And listen, I know I'm one to talk here as a Niners fan who had Brock Purdy, Mr. Relevant, come in and save the team. But when I look at like 2019 undrafted quarterback Jake Browning, again, like when we were doing the exercise of talking to backup quarterbacks around the league, I didn't even know who the hell Jake Browning was. It, it threw me off when you even like could pull the, what college he played for. The Bengals maybe should have considered like upgrading their backup quarterback position, but apparently Jake Browning earned his spot. Now, I think everyone's a little bit more on high alert this year when we talk about calf injuries, just given what happened in week one. If Aaron Rodgers didn't literally tear his Achilles in week one after dealing with calf issues in the offseason, then I don't think we'd be talking about this nearly as much. And there's certain things to consider like, One, Aaron Rodgers is a older player than Joe Burrow, but Joe Burrow, too, is also a player that has had an injury history. Let's not forget he literally blew up his knee in the first year of his NFL career. So evaluating this Bengals team, like you're going into this week three game against the Rams, who the Rams are a lot better than we thought they were going to be. If a doctor says, yeah, he can play, but there are going to be some minor limitations Which doctor is telling me that? Because if it's the team doctor, take it with a grain of salt. If it's his personal doctor, take it with a grain of salt. Because there's so many incentives for Burrow to get back on the field if he wants to get back on the field. And this is a position where maybe the organization steps in and says, we need to do right by this player and keep him off the field. Similar situation to what Mike Tomlin was talking about in the offseason with Ryan Clark and how he held Ryan Clark out of a game he wanted to play. Problem is... The Bengals are not necessarily regarded as an organization that is necessarily at the highest standards of caring for their players historically. This is the organization that reused jock straps in the early 2000s. It's a real story. You can look it up. The Bengals are not exactly the team I trust to do right by their quarterback. And of course, Joe Burrow wants to play because that's the reason Joe Burrow was in in the first place when he clearly wasn't healthy enough to do so. So to answer your question, which doctor is clearing him is is 
a bigger question than whether or not doctors give him the go ahead for a primetime Monday night game against the Los Angeles Rams. The second part of that question is like, do you think the Bengals are a good enough team if Joe Burrow, let's say they do have to put him on IR or something and he has to miss four games. Are they a good enough team to survive a four game stretch without their star quarterback, especially given their own two status already? I mean, it's like I said earlier, you would suspect that a team in the AFC who made it to two consecutive AFC championship games, made the Super Bowl two years ago, didn't really lose any significant pieces on that defense or, or I mean, the offensive side of the ball, you could say they added an offensive lineman and that should help. But like other than losing Jesse Bates and Von Bell and being able to replace them with relatively good options, like they haven't lost like major pieces of the team. And so I feel a little strange saying that they're not good enough to. But then I look at the practical like results and I don't know if they're good enough. It's like I said earlier, going 10 and four is a tall task, period, especially when you're playing in the AFC and particularly the AFC North with the first place schedule because they won their division last year. So they have to play Kansas City. They have to play Buffalo. They have to play Jacksonville. So 10 and four is a tall task for any team. And to do it with Jake Browning at quarterback, who has completed zero NFL passes, I mean, like I said, Jake Browning's a local kid, high school hero who played a college football playoff game at Washington a bunch of years ago. But 10 and four with Jake Browning just sounds like a tall task, even for this Bengals team. He's got a wealth of experience. He's been in the league four years, four snaps, four total snaps for Jake Browning in that time. So that's not exactly someone you just want to throw into the game, which, again, brings up the question. Why didn't the Bengals consider upgrading their backup quarterback position in the offseason? So that they wouldn't be put in necessarily the spot where it seems like their season is on the line, all on the arm of one inexperienced fourth year quarterback in Jake Browning. When I break down the team aside from the quarterback position, so a quote that kind of caught my eye was that Jamar Chase was talking about the play calling and how the Bengals weren't taking enough shots downfield and we're doing a little bit more dink and dunk. I kind of wonder, so you mentioned, was Joe Burrow healthy to begin this season? Do you think that there's was any limitations in their decision to throw downfield given maybe Joe Burrow just doesn't have the push off that calf like he normally would. That's a good question. I, I didn't go back to watch any tape from the Ravens Bengals game, but from what I was catching on the Red Zone channel, it seemed like that might be the case. I know fantasy people have been asking questions about what's happening with Jamar Chase and what's happening with his production this year. And uh, I think Joe Burrow right now is ranked like 28th out of 33 quarterbacks in terms of, I think it was passer rating. He's yeah. 28 out of 33 right well, now. Well, that Browns game definitely killed him. It killed the whole team in general that week one, just disaster class that they threw on yeah so i guess in that respect i have to assume he's healthy he's not healthy because i don't think of him as being in the same camp as zach wilson or the same camp as justin fields in terms of performance this year or surprisingly trevor lawrence i think trevor lawrence was like 26th in passer rating this year but i i of course it's joe burrow we expect joe burrow to be better than this so i guess i have to just assume that the offense was inhibited by the fact i also don't really trust zach taylor as an offensive coach i know he doesn't call the plays i know it's um callahan i think his name is brian callahan i know he calls the plays but i don't really trust them schematically they've run a very basic offense for a lot of years even with joe burrow and jamar chase but i have to assume that injuries played a factor in their game plan here just based on the fact that they were unable to move the ball down the field the fact that joe burrow clearly was battling through injuries 
injury. I don't think it takes a genius to like make the connection between the two and think that there might have been something inhibiting there. And this Jamar Chase guy is a smart person. He seems to be on to a lot of the stuff that uh, <laughs> recognizing what's wrong with the <laughs> Bengals. Jamar Chase seems to have the basic answers. Our quarterback is hurt. And because our quarterback is hurt, we can't run the offense we want to run. <laughs> Now, you mentioned Zach Taylor. I just want to ask a quick question. So what does it say about Zach Taylor, at least the last two years that they've started 0-2 twice? So again, something bright side for the Bengals fans here. You did start 0-2 last year and still made the AFC Championship game. But this year, obviously, with the Joe Burrow injury, a little bit different. But what does it say about Zach Taylor that this team is just used to slow starts coming into the season? Are they I know the new Patriots, like we treat September as an extra preseason. Your guess is as good as mine with that one, because look, I've I've said for a couple of years now that the thing that would help improve the Bengals the most is a top of the line coach. Like if a top of the line coach was willing to go to that organization, I think that would do wonders for the Cincinnati Bengals. I have recommended Mike Vrabel get out of Tennessee and go to Cincinnati in the past. It doesn't necessarily have to be him, but just if any top of the line coach went to Cincinnati, I think you'd see marked improvement from the team. Zach Taylor to me has shown little evidence that he is good or bad as a coach, but the thing that I will give him credit for is unlike some other coaches with very good teams, he hasn't driven the whole thing off a cliff yet. So at the very least, he is stable. He is not driving the whole wagon off a cliff, but he also isn't really doing much to help his team in terms of the coaching and schematics and running any kind of offense that isn't just what Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase ran in college. And I know, again, part of that's Brian Callahan, who's the offensive coordinator calling the plays, but just them as an offensive. I was surprised when Callahan was getting head coaching interviews last year. I was like, really? I know everyone's trying to find the next offensive genius, but this this team is not that. They run a remarkably simple offense. It's very similar spread formations to what every team in the NFL now is starting to implement. So again, the 0-2 thing I think is less indicative of Taylor specifically, but you don't need to give me more evidence to bag on Zach Taylor because for years I have thought that this person is not, at the very least, if he is an NFL head coach, he shouldn't have the keys to this Maserati of a football team. Please let him go coach like the Bears or something like that. Don't give him like one of the most talented rosters in the NFL when the best thing I can say about him is he has hasn't driven the whole thing off a cliff. Uh, even if he's made some boneheaded coaching decisions, timeout decisions, clock management stuff, but like coaches do that all the time. The best thing I can say about him hasn't driven the whole thing off a cliff, but we might see that this year, one six and 11 season with Jake Browning behind the helm and they finished last place in the AFC North. And uh, they're going to start asking some questions that maybe people in Cincinnati haven't been asking the last <laughs> couple of years. Well, I would say if Jake Browning does play significant time, Zach Taylor is going to at least have the out. Hey, my quarterback was injured all year, right? I guess, but you know what the solution is to this? Uh, there, there's a backup quarterback right now that's available on the open market. He's not really getting playing time for is he a, a former first round pick? quarterback. Uh, he is a former second round pick, actually. Uh, um, okay. Uh, a former second rounder with some experience in this offense behind Zach Taylor. I'm talking, of course, about Andy Dalton, baby. Red Rifle, reunite <laughs> him with the Cincinnati Bengals. Trade for Andy Dalton and reunite him with this incredible. Give him the best Bengals team he's ever had in his career so he can also lose in the wild card game again. <laughs> All roads lead back to Andy Dalton. It's about to be the Desperation Bowl in week three as the winless Vikings take on the winless Chargers. 
And for the Vikings, it's another primetime loss that they're coming off of against Philadelphia. Now, Kirk Cousins, he's looked fine through the early goings this season. But if anyone thought that the Vikings were Fugazi last year, they would feel vindicated now watching them start off this season and losing a couple of close games to begin the year. Kyle, watching the Vikings through these first two weeks, you believed in them to win the NFC North again. Do you think that that's still a possibility? I have good news for Vikings fans this year at the very least, which is uh, last year, the Vikings kept having these crazy comebacks, crazy comebacks. They they were 11 and 0 in one score games that never happened in the history of the NFL. I'm someone who says that one score games are basically like coin tosses in the NFL. So imagine flipping a coin 11 times in a row and coming up on heads every time. That's what the Vikings were last season. And uh, the good news for Vikings fans this year is that it only took five days for them to make sure that you knew they are not good enough. It only took five days this year for them to let you know we do not have expectations for making a deep playoff run this year. They told you early that they're not good enough. And I still think they can win the NFC North. Just looking at the landscape, it's not all that good this year. Like I said off the top, if you told me any team in that NFC North went 8-8 eight and eight this season, I would believe you. So no one's really blowing them out of the water. Through two games, no one's really blown me out of the water. If I were to reevaluate now, this goes against the rules of making uh, you know predictions at the beginning of the season and judging based on small sample sizes. But the Detroit Lions to me look like a 10-11 win team. And if the bar is going to be 10-11 wins, I know damn sure the Vikings ain't reaching that. So the Vikings are probably in the fighting for the seventh wild card purgatory uh, in the mix. You know, like that that graphic when the playoffs roll around that says like in the mix on the side. The Vikings are I feel like they're firmly in the mix, like fighting for that seventh wild card spot, but also a game back with two to play. And they need like three tiebreakers to break their way to get into the playoffs. So that, that's starting to be the vibes I'm getting from the Vikings. One of the biggest issues that I've noticed with the Vikings so far is they are so pass centric. They're so one dimensional of a team through this point that they're like rushing average is among the worst in the league. They have 69 total rushing yards through two games. Uh, they're averaging 0.77 yards before contact. So they're not really, really even getting pushed off the line in the running game. Now, they signed an offensive lineman this week, Dalton Risner. Hopefully he can make some improvements for this team now, as I look at their decision to move off of Dalvin Cook without a adequate replacement to come in uh, behind him, because Alexander Madison, he, he's been in the league. We, we more or less know what Alexander Madison is and isn't. He's a fine backup running back, but I, I never saw him truly as a starter. And I thought that the Vikings, if they were going to move off Cook, they should have at least drafted someone, right? So how do you evaluate their decision to move off Dalvin Cook knowing that they have not been able to run the ball at all this year? Even without knowing how good or bad Dalvin Cook is, because he has he's kind of been a non-factor in the Jets offense, but granted the Jets offense's existence has been a non-factor throughout the season so far without Aaron Rodgers, but... I mean, at the same time, like the Vikings feel like they made a mistake at the running back room, regardless of whether it was the right decision in a micro to move off of Dalvin Cook. Like they they clearly don't have enough running game is very often predicated on the offensive line. Their offensive line PFF grades, I think, are like 29th out of 32 in the NFL right now. So 
offensive line has really struggled. You mentioned they signed someone off. I'm surprised they weren't in the camp of like, we're going to sign Jason Peters. Cause anytime you see someone signing Jason Peters, it's like, Oh, your offensive line is screwed. <laughs> to expand oh, on the Dalton yeah, Risner, uh, because you mentioned PFF grades, he's not going to help them much in their run blocking. He's a better pass blocker than he is a run blocker. So his addition is even questionable in that at respect, because they need run blocking unless they're going to literally throw the ball on 95% of their plays. They need some better run blocking to at least help Alexander Madison. I don't know how effective Alexander Madison is going to be throughout the course of the year, but if he's going to get like no help in run blocking and not get enough touches to really build up positive momentum, then that's not going to help him either. So is this just a beggars can't be choosers situation? It's just that we need anything to help on the offensive line at this point? Because I made this joke uh, last Thursday when the the Vikings played the Eagles and that game was kind of topsy and turvy, but the Vikings would have you believe that their problem is turning the ball over. But at the same time, the Vikings had over 300 passing yards against Tampa Bay in the first week of the season. They were one of the highest passing teams in the NFL in terms of yards, and they only scored 17 points. Against the Eagles, they threw for nearly 300 yards. Justin Jefferson had over 100 yards, and Jordan Addison had a 60-yard touchdown in that game. And yeah, they scored 24 points, but seven of those were off of a turnover, so they essentially scored 17 points again. And Seven turnovers in the first half is obviously a problem. If you combine the Tampa Bay game and the Eagles game, they have seven turnovers. I believe six of them are in the first half. Obviously, they would have you believe, and they said as much after the game. Like Kevin O'Connell said, this is an offense that can't turn the ball over. We are a precision offense. We are predicated on completing short passes and protecting the ball and controlling time of possession. And all the turnovers are the reasons probably why they lost these games even while being able to put up this large amount of offensive production especially in the passing game well with the turnovers again you mentioned should we believe that it's just the turnovers there has to be at least some regression to the mean when you talk about seven turnovers through two weeks and you haven't had a turnover yourself you have a negative turnover differential that leads the league at some point we do have to believe that the luck bounces back and i know the vikings are a team that at least last season was largely based on luck can they get any of that back i mean that's really just up to the football gods at that point to determine if they're going to have that um as far as again beggars can't be choosers they needed to sign him also too because dalton risner specifically they need to sign him too because they've had injuries on the offensive line already. They're, they're taking the hits to an already battered offensive line. Uh, Kirk Cousins, this is a rough situation for him to be in too, because obviously this is a contract year. Determining what Kirk Cousins' next contract will be is going to be predicated a little bit on what happens this season. Um, we, we've seen a lot of successful contract years, but this isn't looking like one of them. And when you look ahead for the Vikings, it doesn't help that their schedule doesn't really... Uh, facilitate them game back into the playoff mix because they have games coming up against the Niners. I, again, I mentioned this week they have the Chargers. The Chiefs are on their schedule. The Packers are looking a little bit better than we thought that they were going to be. They still have to play them a couple of times. Uh, when I look at the road ahead for the Vikings, I'm not seeing a lot of wins unless they get back to, again, some of that coin flip type luck that they had last season. And staring down the gun barrel of a 0-2 hole, it's hard for me to believe that they really can get back into this mix. Basically, you know, like when you consider the amount of teams, too, that have like went to the playoffs with a 0-2 hole, it, it's very thin. I don't think they're as good as last year's Bengals team. We talked about them in another video 
They start 0-2 last year, went to the AFC Championship game. This Vikings team last year, despite winning 13 games, got their ass kicked in their first playoff game last season. Their defense isn't improved. One of the big holes for them last year was, of course, their defense, which was bottom third in the NFL. I know you have DVOA. They're bottom third in the NFL and DVOA. That hasn't improved going into this year. The only bright spot that I at least can point out for them, hey, at least Jordan Addison is good, right? (laughs) Jordan Addison through two weeks is looking like he was well worth the pick. So that's at least a bright spot if you're a Vikings fan at this point. What is the thing that the Vikings do really well? Like pass the ball. Can you think of pass the ball? But do they even pass the ball at a like top five clip in the league? I would say they at least do a top five clip in the NFC, which at least in terms of making the playoffs is a good start. But then so the problem I would have with that is like, so what do they do really, really well? And it's past the ball. They're one of the better passing teams in the NFC. They're going to need like league average play in other places to be able to get there. And the reason I said that, like, they still have a chance here is Detroit and Green Bay come up four times on their schedule. Still, they can get wins against those teams. They can win that division. Detroit and Green Bay are both one and one. They haven't exactly been world beating teams to start the season, although Green Bay has like a plus 17 point differential, despite the fact that they're one and one. Meanwhile, the Las Vegas Raiders have a negative 27 point differential and have a one and one record. So again, not all one and ones are created equal. I think the Packers are in the upper echelon of one and one teams, but they haven't exactly been this world beating team to start the season. So I could get behind the idea of the Vikings can catch them by virtue of beating Green Bay and Detroit. But the Vikings feel like a kind of like 500 type of team and if they're already 0 and 2 if they go 8 and 7 the rest of the season that's 8 and 9 and 8 yeah. and 9 isn't going to get it done in the NFC which we regard as the weaker conference however there are 7 2 and 0 teams in the NFC right now so the NFC has uh has elevated their game and what I would say in addition to that is even if they were able to survive the regular season which I'm not very confident that they're going to be able to survive the regular season can you make it to the the playoffs. Can you win in the playoffs? Well, you mentioned they are awful, awful running the football right now. And their defense is just as bad. Some of the additions they made in the offseason, like they signed Marcus Davenport. He's played four snaps for them this year. Uh, Daniel Hunter's been good. He looks like he's having a renaissance season for them. But Harrison Smith, who's been a mainstay on that defense for forever, he looks like he's finally regressed. And if Harrison Smith isn't good, if, uh, again, Davenport isn't giving them anything, that defense that we already knew was bad is going to get worse. Um, Them not upgrading the running back position is something that they might regret. And there's still people out there who, listen, they should go out there now and look what's available in the free agent market. If Kareem Hunt is still out there by the time this video is posted, go get him. If Leonard Fournette is still out there, maybe consider go getting him because they need to get some sort of rushing attack going even in addition to um alexander madison even if we they're not taking over alexander madison's spot at least to substitute in and give them a different look because they need to at least variate their offense enough to where it's not just drop back pass drop back pass because eventually teams are just going to kill kirk cousins uh kirk cousins has been a model of health in his nfl career surprisingly but he takes a lot of hits and if you're just going to say we're going to run the mike martz offense and he's going to drop back 10,000 times a game, eventually you're going to get your quarterback killed. Kirk Cousins is a little bit less surprising that he's made it this long without injury. He's very good at getting the ball out quickly in his hand, but at the same time, it's it's not going to make a difference. It's not going to make any difference for the Vikings this year because you're plugging holes 
in a ship that is fundamentally flawed. Like they don't have the star power on the other end to be able to match up there. And like I said, they can't run the ball. They can't stop the run. Their secondary is pretty mid. I mean, they need Harrison Smith to be the Hall of Famer Harrison Smith instead of just the average Harrison Smith. So we'll see what ends up happening. But I think it's really interesting that the 0-2 Vikings play the 0-2 Chargers. And you'll walk away from that game feeling gross about both teams. But one of them is going to be 0-3. Which of those teams is going to go 0-3 to start the season? We'd like to hear your thoughts in the comment section. Desperation Bowl 2023 Vikings Chargers. If there's any more of a more chaotic matchup than that one, you tell me. I want to hear it. Uh, Leave a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel. Follow us on all our social medias from Juju and Kyle. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.